this is what you're fighting for. I mean, every day you're out there. What they're doing is blowing people off. If you continue to look the other way and shut up, then the oppressors, the authoritarians get total control and total power. Because this is just like in Arizona. This is just like in Georgia. It's another element that backs them into a quarter and shows their lies and misrepresentations. This is why this audience is going to have to get engaged. As we've told you, this is the fight. All this nonsense, all this spin, they can't handle the truth. War Room Battleground. Here's your host, Stephen K. Bannon. Welcome. It's Tuesday, 18 October in the year of our Lord, 2022. Packed uh, day-to-day for news and, of course, a, a, a packed show. Uh, we're going to start and we're going to talk about an object lesson here for the United States of America, something we must focus on because this crisis that's now engulfing our mother country is going to engulf us very shortly after November 8th. I realize everything that focus right now is the massive turnout for this 1932-type realignment we could have by winning everything from the school boards all the way up to the House and Senate. But we need to look over the over the hill. That's what's to... Uh, What's to come and get us? By the way, lead story in the Financial Times of London today, new UK chancellor rips up Truss's economic policy to soothe markets. Absolutely stunning. This was done to a prime minister. Let me bring in the first of our two guests. We have Peter McIlvaney from Hearts of Oak. Uh, Peter, thank you for joining us. Also, Philip Patrick from Birch Gold. I want to get a political expert in a someone on capital markets and economics. Peter, let me start with you. I got a clip I'm going to play for Nigel Farage, the great Nigel Farage here in a second. Get us up to date on what's happened today. And have you ever seen a prime minister humiliated as much as Liz Trust to have her this huge, she was trying to be Margaret Thatcher uh, deuce to come out and have this really just not just crater, but be so humiliated to have to hire Jeremy Hunt, I think, as uh Chancellor of the Exchequer, and he's basically walked back everything that she proposed? Um, no, I've never seen uh, probably the last week that I've ever seen. And I have loved politics, always been engaged in politics, but the chaos we've seen, and you realize for the first time I that actually I didn't know who was in control, that um, I see a prime minister, I see parliament, I see MPs, and none of them are actually in control. So there are extremely dark forces at play, extremely dark forces. Well, I think, uh, Philip, let me bring in, I tell you, one uh, one element that's definitely in charge or kind of in charge is called capital markets. And the capital markets, which essentially finances these apparatuses, uh, she ran it up the flagpole, as they say on Wall Street, she ran it up the flagpole and the money didn't salute. And, And I've never seen such a epic, miss or meltdown. Philip Patrick, your assessment, the dark forces at work, are they the global capital markets? Yeah, that, that's exactly exactly what I was going to say. Look, they, they don't really know what's going on and they're responding to the markets and adjusting policy accordingly. You're absolutely spot on. They're calling it here the biggest U-turn in history, right? They put together a plan that included $45 billion in, in tax, uh, tax cuts and, and, and deficits. Uh, markets responded terribly, right? The investors' expectations were that inflation was going to surge on the back of it. In response, uh, Liz Truss fired Quasi Kwarteng. Jeremy Hunt comes in and reverses, basically cut the 
deficit by about 75%. And obviously, things have really settled down now with the Bank of England stepping in, promising to buy bonds to give pension funds the time to unwisk, uh, unwind sorry, their risky positions. They had large exposure to the derivative market. They were facing collapse. So tough situation, and the government are responding to the markets, not the other way around. You know, uh, Peter used a term, and this is why I want to focus on the UK, Bank of England, the capital markets, because in a very small microcosm, it's one of the issues with the United States of America. And ladies and gentlemen, you've heard, as we often do months and months in advance, this is going to be the dilemma this country's in uh, during the lame duck session that's going to happen and then into the next year. It's the reason they did the short uh, uh, CR that the Republicans didn't want to own that, didn't want to take the ownership of the budget cuts. Before I go back to Peter, wasn't it really, and, and this is not really captured in the, everybody's focusing on him dropping the tax part of it. What they came up today was, we got to get to the heart of it. We have to cut government spending. The two things are why they're in a dilemma is the energy situation in England and the productivity collapse related to energy and this metastasizing Budget And part of that is the welfare state, but this metastasizing budget that just can't be financing now. So when Peter talks about the dark forces, that's really the money saying you have a business model that doesn't work anymore, right? Doesn't come close to working. And we're not prepared to keep writing checks. Philip Patrick. Yeah, it's it's absolutely spot on. And and I've said for a while, and I've said on this show, there has to be some measure of synergy, right? You've got a, a central government uh, and a central bank. And, and at the moment, they're fighting opposite sides, right? Central banks are in charge of getting inflation under control, tightening monetary sp- uh, policy. They have to do it to get inflation under control. But the problem is we've got governments doing the complete reverse now, right? Here in the US, you know, running a trillion dollar deficit annually. It's going to be very difficult for central banks to get a handle on this problem without central governments playing game. And right now it's not happening, at least domestically here in the US. And the UK is a mess at the moment. I don't think they know which direction they're going. Peter, you said to start this, uh, to start the hour off, that for the first time in your life as a student of this, you didn't know who was in charge. Do you get a better sense today? And particularly, is is coming to Parliament or coming to Commons now with big deficit reduction and, and big, uh, big essentially social welfare, social welfare reduction? Is that going to fly? Is that going to? Is that is the reality sunk into the rest of the people that, that this is something that has to happen? Has that program? not just been explained, but it hasn't been sold enough that it actually is going to become part of uh, British uh, public policy? Um, no, it, it hasn't been sold enough, and the people don't really know what Liz Truss is all about. She was, she kind of is a, an unknown. She's got there because the others have fallen away. She said, right, we need to cut taxes. We have a, a government spending at the highest level since the Second World War. Uh, remember, with 13 years of conservative rule, and under those 13 years, the tax take has gone up and up and up. This is under Labour. This is under conservative. So she goes back to say, okay, we need a small state. We need low taxes. We need to look at high growth. But again, she she brought those 
cuts in which have now all been reversed. So Jeremy Hunt, the person, remember he was against Boris Johnson whenever Boris ran. He was uh, in the leadership running this time, dropped out, and he has now stepped in. One of his campaigns was he would cut corporation tax to 15%. He was all about cutting taxes to energise growth. He has now backed off on all of that and torn all those up. So people look and they see what is Liz Truss about? Now, she is a conservative. She is someone who does want to cut that spend. I think we've hit three trillion in the UK, which I know is nothing compared to you guys over in the States. Mm. But she wanted to actually cut taxes and give people money back to people. The problem is the, the chaos we are in economically at the moment. But then you look back and you think, one, she has been weak because she got rid of her chancellor. They've been very close for many years. I mean, Quasi has a what PhD in economics. It's not as if he's a dumb guy. He's a smart guy. Um, but the market's turned. Liz Truss got rid of her chancellor. Um, she thinks she can push on. She's only 40 days in. She did a, a, a disastrous BBC interview. She was uh, she, she wasn't in the Commons initially whenever some of the statements were given. She doesn't seem to want to own it and she seems confused at what's happening and she doesn't know what to do. She looks at the chaos and thinks, I don't know what to do. She's been meeting with MPs all day today trying to shore up her position. But if it's not Liz Truss, who is it? Rishi Sunak? Well, big business, big tech. That's what you get. A man of the IMF, of the markets. And maybe that's what the dark forces want. They want someone who they can control. And Liz Truss seemingly wasn't someone they could control up until two days ago. Do you think, though, that part of it was what I found shocking and from Quartang uh, is that when they had this radical financial plan, which just, you know, steep um, tax cuts, the deregulation, that's all fine. But you always got to back that up with the math. What I found was the arrogance of saying, hey, with the mini budget, you know, it's going to be at the end of November at one point. I go, the end of November, people are trading these bonds. The pension funds, what everybody's worked for is collapsing before their eyes. And part of the reason it's collapsing is that the pension funds were doing things nobody realized. They, they were leveraged to the hilt. And it should have been for hedging themselves. It wasn't. It was to juice returns. So all of a sudden, you're starting to see all these problems. The Bank of England's only got so much money it can print. Did you find the arrogance that they, it, when they put out a plan, they only kind of gave you the uh, the sugar on top. They didn't give you the reality. And they were arrogant about saying, no, we're going to wait till uh, to the end of October, the end of November, to put the numbers. You think that hurt them? Well, Liz Truss has said, oh, sorry, we made a mistake. <laughs> really? Seriously? You made a mistake. But you're right. To bring tax cuts, you've got... Government debt at three trillion. You've got spending anyway out of control. You've got all the money spent under the the COVID chaos, and then she cuts taxes. You're right. It was one side. She cuts taxes without any understanding of how you begin to pay things back off that widening deficit, which was what eighty billion or whatever. Actually, no idea how to fill it. So I, I do not understand quasi quartile very smart. How did he go to the dispatch box with a budget plan that was only part of the equation? He didn't even say, don't worry, there are cuts coming later on. No, they wanted to cut taxes, but not touch government spending, which is absolutely impossible whenever you're in the uh, the financial chaos that we're in with the high debt, with paying people for uh, their energy. So one of her first policies was to pay 30, 40 billion initially, possibly up to over 100 billion, paying for people's energy. You, you can't be paying people 100 billion if you're going to cut taxes. So 
I, I don't understand how they did not think this through. It seemed as though she decided she had to do something, but without thinking, well, that's something will have repercussions. And no one told her this is this is crazy. This is why it's a lesson for the United States. You can't. They came forward with tax cuts and some deregulation, but didn't get. They were going to add, I think, a hundred billion for, to pay for the energy problem they've got without any really. She had some aggressive, but not fully aggressive, on the energy side. And other than that, was it going to was going to add to spending? Philip Patrick, this is why it's a lesson for the United States of America. The same exact thing, maybe without the tax cuts, but the same exact thing is going to happen to this country uh, at the end of this year with the lame duck. Uh, uh, issue with the lame duck trying to pass the continued resolution, which is really the spending plan for next year, and then into next year as we have to deal with this massive debt and rising interest rates. Now our debt is no longer free, just like the $3 trillion. And one of the reasons Liz Truss cannot just say she's sorry and unwind it, she's jacked interest rates so 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 high with the Bank of England because of her amateurish way she started that's going to start rolling through people's credit cards, car payments, rents, everything in the United Kingdom, and the government debt. She is kind of permanently, uh, you know, as you used to say in Naval Air, screwed the pooch. Uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, you can't unwind it. Is this also the crisis we're going to face, Philip, at some point in time in not too near distant future? The, the answer is absolutely yes. The parallels from the situation the United Kingdom find themselves in today and the US, they're there, right? Massive amounts of spending, pumping money through an economy for 13 years that has driven asset prices out of proportion to any reality. Now we're bringing the air out of that bubble. We have spending packages that have not been thought through. We're going to start to feel the effects. I've said it before, heading into next year, the Federal Reserve are going to have to get significantly more aggressive with raising interest rates if we cannot curb the Biden administration's desire to spend, we're going to have a massive, massive problem. Right now, we have essentially a war between the Federal Reserve and the federal government, right? Federal Reserve's trying to pull money out of the economy to get on top of the inflation problem, while the Biden administration is running a deficit and essentially pumping money back through the economy, right? One hand giveth, another hand taketh away, and both hands are trying to outdo each other. As long as there's no synergy between monetary and fiscal policy, the, the economy becomes a battleground, right? And as everybody know, when elephants fight, it's the mice that get crushed, right? I think next year is going to be very tough for, for U.S. investors. I think on Bloomberg TV the other day, in fact, we ought to get that cut and play it tomorrow morning because we're tomorrow morning on the show, we're going to kick off by going through the morning. Steve Ratner going through some charts the other day, which we think he got wrong that are very important for people to understand. But Julia Bramowitz, said the uh from bloomberg had a very a trenchant comment the other day talking about the united kingdom she said this is the end of the era of fiscal domination and what she said is that this is politicians continually to vote for and press all of these programs both defense spending all of it all the way through to social spending that have these massive keynesian deficits and the central banks have just been very passive to go along with it and this is the first time you've really seen the central bank say that the fiscal domination and one of the dark forces that Peter's talking about is the Bank of England. Now, if you're if you're a pension fund, if you're a pension fund holder, you say they're the white knight. If you're if you're someone who actually wanted uh, a Tory government to come in Thatcher like they're, they're a dark force. But uh, this is why it's going to be so important. This era of fiscal domination 
where the politician could just have in the United States trillion, trillion and a half dollar deficits, and the Federal Reserve just continued to to pump. In fact, uh, now uh, what everybody should do is go to uh, birchgold.com forward slash Bannon. You get the um, you get uh, our thing of uh, uh, the end of the dollar empire. I've had two parts of this. The first was the politics of money. The second is the fall of the uh, the fall of the dollar as a prime reserve currency. We're working on chapter three, but get up to speed. We're entering an era like the 19th century with Andrew Jackson and Henry Clay and William Jennings Bryan, that the politics of money is going to be everything. And this is what people are going to be talking about. This is exactly what's going on in the United Kingdom right now. Not enough politicians are fluent enough to grasp the topic. That's why you don't see a lot of people coming forward. That's why you see a, a Jeremy Hunt who is kind of marginalized. He's now stepped up and actually coming forward because he actually, I think he feels uh, uh, more equipped to deal with this. This is why quasi uh, Corton, we everybody thought this guy's a PhD in economics. He'll understand it right away. But it seemed like he he either didn't understand it or didn't feel like he had he had that old Etonian arrogance. He didn't have to explain himself. Here's what I want to do for a second because I have said, and I hate to say I've been right on this, but I said she would finally back off and go to the cuts. I've also said she will be gone by this week. I've also said by next spring you'll see the end of the Tory Party. I want to have, uh, I think we got a video from Nigel Farage, came on the show the other day, and I was on Nigel saying, Nigel, the GB News show is fantastic, you're a huge hit, but it's now time to step out, lead a Brexit party, or or reconstitute that Brexit uh, nationalist spirit for economic nationalism and galvanize it into the Reform Party or Reclaim Party or Brexit, you call it whatever, but you're going to need an alternative to the Tories, because the Tories are about to go the way the Whigs are. Right. There's no doubt. Now, let's play this video from Nigel Farage and I'll bring in Peter and uh, Philip uh, for commentary and analysis. So 12 years we've had 12 years of Tory misrule. Let's have a think about the economy, shall we? Low growth, productivity now so low, it's estimated to be 20 percent below that of France. I mean, it almost beggars belief. But then that's what you get when you have huge open door immigration to low skill labor. Through their economic policy of quantitative easing, they've pushed up the price of assets, houses. So if you're rich and you own several houses, this has been really, really cool. If you're one of the many millions who wants to get on the housing ladder, well, I'm sorry, but having a house is no longer for you. A link to that, of course, is the cost of living crisis, the biggest single cost being energy. This is all a totally self-inflicted wound by a Conservative party who completely turned their backs on the idea of us being energy independent. No, we build lots of windmills and we import electricity. When the wind doesn't blow, it comes in from France, it comes in from Norway. Oh, and by the way, the Tories have also closed down our gas storage facility so that this winter we will have about two days reserve of gas and the lights may well go out in February. Immigration, legal immigration. Well, our population's increased by about 10 million since the year 2000. Makes almost no difference whether it's the Blair era or whether it's Cameron, May, or any of the others. It's tough to keep up with all the names, isn't it? What with four chancellors in four months. And across the channel, which I've been warning about repeatedly for the last two years, well, Border Force wrote to the Home Secretary at the weekend to say the reception centre at Manston is now full of, and I quote, violent criminals. Yes, hundreds of violent criminals are coming into this country every single week. Law and order, don't even get me started. Crime is now so bad that most people don't even bother to report crime, don't even bother to get in touch with the police. Our armed forces since 2010 slashed, and all of this from a government 
that says it is conservative. Well, there was a brief glimmer of hope that perhaps we'd try and reduce the size of the state, perhaps we'd try and get taxes down, uh, but it wasn't to be. No, I also had hoped that the IR35 rules might be changed because that is frankly a war on the self-employed. But no, now we have Jeremy Hunt. Oh, isn't that just great? Pro the Chinese Communist Party, pro the European Union, pro lockdown, pro mandatory vaccination. I mean, frankly, he may just as well be a Labour politician. This is a globalist coup. Now, if Labour were in power, their economic policies would be virtually identical. Some of the social stuff might be a little bit crazier, a little bit madder, but it would make no difference. I fail to see right now what the point of the Conservative Party is. I don't even know what function it serves. Um, and I'm saying this all, all of this to you as we drive along Whitehall past number 10 Downing Street. There we are. That's Downing Street there. I understand they put in a revolving door um, because Liz Truss won't last very long. But anyway, she's not running the country. Mr Hunter, the globalists are. There is no point to this Conservative Party. It might have existed for 200 years. It now serves no purpose. It needs desperately to be replaced. Quite how we do that under a first-past-the-post system is something I'm going to turn my mind to. Be sure of one thing. The Conservative Party, as we've always known it, is now dead. An absolutely brutal assessment. Something we had Nigel on the show the other day asking that question. What are you going to do about this? You're, the, you're one of the greatest political leaders in the history of the United Kingdom. Peter McElveen, let's go to you. Your assessment of Nigel Farage, that's a brutal, when you think you've been in power for 12 years, that is a brutal uh, laundry list of quote-unquote accomplishments, sir. Uh, Nigel is spot on. He is absolutely spot on. You look at the Conservative Party and you think, what is the purpose? Uh, what is the point of them? Uh, if they're not going to be Conservative, you think actually if Keir Stammer came in, what difference would it be? As Nigel said, it wouldn't be a lot. And I think we have lost we have lost the chance to rebalance our economy uh, probably for 10, 20 years uh, because no one is going to touch actually taking an axe to public spending, trying to cut that down to rebalance it, to hand money back to, to the individuals, which is, I mean, the Conservatives were always the party of the economy, the party of law and order and the party of the economy. You could always trust, even if you talk to a Labour voter, you could trust the Tories with the economy. That is now in absolute shreds. You cannot trust the Conservative Party with the economy at all. Um, you can't trust Labour with the economy. Actually, who can you trust? So people are going to fall back probably by default and go with Labour. Not because Labour are anything better. Not because Labour got any ideas. Not because Labour stand for anything at all, uh, apart from hatred of country. But because the Conservatives actually are for nothing. Um and I, I don't, you, the IMF came out against trust two and a half weeks in. I remember all this happened. The Queen, the Queen Elizabeth died uh, just after this trust became PM. It's not as if she's had uh, 40 days of uh, plain sailing. That happened in the middle. So the, the strange thing is all this has happened after that. 
Um, so it's even a shorter space time. When you talk about 40 days, it hasn't been 40 days. 10 days, two weeks is out of that because of the Queen's death. So you're only looking at three weeks. The IMF turned on her. The IMF turned on her again a few days ago. Sleepy Joe turned on and said it was a mistake. Everyone seemed to pile in. It was megaphone diplomacy. There was no quiet conversations. It was you would write an article and you would attack Liz Truss for uh, trying to cut taxes. Um, and I, like in those dark forces, you think, who actually is in charge? It's certainly not the British government. It's certainly not uh, the public. It's certainly not the electorate. Um, it's not one party or the other. Actually, you're only allowed to go so far until the money markets tell you this far and no further, and then they pull you back. So we, the, the government, Liz Trust, completely discredited on her handling of the economy and hasn't had a chance to credit herself with anything else. So they, I agree with you. I a week ago I thought no way she'll ride this out. I, no, I can't see how she can ride it out. She was talking to MPs all day today, including the chair of the 1922 committee, who will make the rules on actually removing her, which you can't do. Uh, you can't challenge a leader for a year. But they're going to change the rules. It's the Conservative Party. They will tear up the rules and they will get rid of her because she's an electoral disaster at the moment. Who they put in place. They're calling for Boris to come back. Maybe that wouldn't be such a bad thing. God, I can't believe this is, this is pure. <laughs> Hang on, Peter. Uh, Philip, the lesson here is that you have to deal with reality as it is. You can change the reality, but that comes through action. That action has to be something that has some sort of pathway uh, to be successful. Um, what lessons do you take away from, from what uh, the UK government tried to do? And I agree with Peter. I think uh, trust is gone by the end of the week. Yeah, I do too. The Daily Star, which is a tabloid in, in the UK, they posted a picture, I think it was today, yesterday, a picture of Liz Truss, a picture of a wet lettuce, and the question was, which wet lettuce will last longer? My money's on, on the actual lettuce, quite frankly. But um, listen, it, it's absolutely spot on, right? These policies, are, uh, they haven't been thought through. Um, you know, the, the government are reacting to the markets and the whole thing's a mess. Look, the markets themselves, the growth that we've been seeing hasn't been based on fundamentals for a long time. It's been based on sentiment, right? Every time they think the central bank's going to give up on the inflation fight, every time there's bad economic news, we see the markets rallying, right? They think, hey, the Fed's going to be dovish market goes up, right? Every time they think the Fed's going to get aggressive, markets go down. It's just bananas. We need some some common sense. We need to be heading in, you know, globally a different trajectory. And as long as we have Biden here in the US, as long as Liz Trust is, is steering the ship in the UK, I don't think it's going to happen. We need some sensible, thought out policies. And we need uh, politicians that are willing to stick to their guns, right? The fact that they come out with a plan and U-turn because the markets didn't like that in on itself is a problem. Uh, Philip, hang on for one second. Peter McIlvaney is going to hang on from Hearts of Oaks. We're going to take a short commercial break. We'll be back in Warren Battleground in just a moment.
War Room Posse, you already know free speech is under constant attack by the swamp and their big tech allies. They resell your communications and personal data while lecturing and laughing at you. I've got the solution. Unplugged Systems, a secure communications company, has an app suite you can install on any Android phone, including its own uncancelable app store, VPN, antivirus, and highly encrypted messenger better than Wicker, Signal, Telegram, or anything else. None of your message or VPN traffic is stored, analyzed, or sold. Claim your security for only $10 a month. Go to their website, unplugged.com. That's unplugged.com slash warroom to install the Unplugged Suite. It's secure. It's private. It's the way we stay connected and informed. Get it now. Take action, action, action. Use your agency. They put Peter Navarro in leg irons for simply doing his constitutional duty. Now they want to put Peter in prison for standing up for Donald Trump. Please go to Amazon right now and order Taking Back Trump's America to help fund Peter's legal defense. Taking Back Trump's America provides a critical MAGA blueprint to put Trump back in the White House in 2024. Buy Taking Back Trump's America on Amazon today. If they can put Peter Navarro in prison, they can come for all of us. Folks, let me tell you about Salty. It's a company that makes a soft gel supplement rich in antioxidants to help people like you and me keep a healthy heart. While COVID gets all the headlines, it's important to realize that heart disease kills nearly 700,000 Americans every year. Yes, heart disease is the number one killer every year, year in and year out. Heart disease builds over time. Hypertension, high blood pressure, bad cholesterol, diabetes, all of it affects our heart. A healthy heart is key to being energetic as we get older. It is never too early to take care of your heart. You see, heart disease sneaks up on us. You can start in your 30s, and when this happens, you're at serious risk by the time you turn 60. If you want to take care of your heart and those you care about, please go to warroomhealth.com. That's warroomhealth.com. All one word, warroomhealth.com. Use the code warroom at checkout to save 67% of your first shipment. That's code WARROOM at checkout to save 67%. Do it again. WARROOM HEALTH, all one word, WARROOMHEALTH.COM. Go there today. You need, if you're going to be part of the posse, you need a strong heart. You need a lion's heart. How we're going to do that is with Salty. Go there. Do it today. Check it out. WARROOM BATTLEGROUND with Stephen K. Bannon. Okay, welcome back. Uh Peter McElveen, Hearts of Oak, uh, give me a minute or two on Liz Truss. She does not make it through the week. Where does the U.K. go? Where does the Tory party go from here? Um, they need a new leader. The problem is there is no new leader. I mean, you had Nigel on before. He's uh, he's the last big beast of British politics. Uh, Boris has left the stage. Uh, Nigel has stayed central to UK politics for 30 years. Uh, you look around, left to right, there is no one who's able to step up and take the place of leadership the Conservative Party. So I, as much as I want Liz, as much as I want to Boris out because he had screwed up, he had to leave. Uh, we thought we'll get someone in. Liz Truss was a Conservative. She hasn't done this. She's failed spectacularly. Um, 
I don't know who's going to replace her. I think the markets will put Rishi Sunak back in charge. Um, he's who they wanted. They're angry that they didn't get their man in the at the um, in the end. They got Liz Truss. She wasn't wanted, so they will put in their man. And actually, having um, Jeremy Hunt in, who was part of Rishi Sunak's campaign, that's the first step of that. I think um, of having him there and he will put himself forward as someone who can calm the markets, which probably is true because he's not going to cut any taxes. He's going to keep ramping it up. So I don't know who they put in place. They get rid of her. Um, the Conservative Party will descend into even bigger chaos. They're talking about a number of candidates. I think it'll it'll probably be Rishi Sunak, and I don't think that's any good for any of us. A globalist. Okay, how do people get to Hearts of Oak? How do they follow your show? How do they follow you on social media? So we're at Hearts of Oak on Getter every Monday and Thursday evening uh, or 3 p.m. Eastern time. We have interviews and every Saturday, 3 p.m., we have news reviews. So at Hearts of Oak on Getter or heartsofoak.org forward slash live stream. You can watch it directly on the website. Peter, thank you very much. Great analysis. Philip Patrick, Birch Gold. Go to birchgold.com slash Bannon. You got to get the... Uh, the end of the dollar empire, because that empire is a qu quickly coming to a conclusion. Make sure you go there, slash Bannon. You get it. It's all free. The politics of money and the demise of the dollar is the prime reserve currency. Uh, how can people get to you, particularly now in this current uh, chaos? Because the chaos is bad, bad here as it is there, and it's only going to get worse, even though we're going to have a massive win on November 8th. Yep. I'm telling everybody that this lame duck session you're going to see things during this lame duck session that you have never seen in the history of this republic. The scams, the cons, the spending, all of it. So stay tuned. Uh, Philip, how did they get to you? So uh, information on precious metals, birchgold.com forward slash Bannon. Uh, you can reach me directly on Getter at Philip Patrick, as always. By the way, fantastic analysis of uh, Philip. Look forward to having you back on here in a couple of days. Always, always uh, enjoy and learn something from your views and commentary. Thank you, Steve. Remember, these capital markets crises are going to drive Peter, call it the dark forces. It's actually the dark forces of money. Matthew Tiermont. Matthew, give me a sense. You're a deal guy. Give me a sense of uh, of the U.K. situation first before we talk about Brazil. Uh, well, we spoke about it a couple weeks ago. What Liz Truss do did uh, economically and in political economy was absolutely uncalled for. She tried to make her mark being a Thatcherite and said, hey, what conservatives are back in town. But you know what? There's a time and a place for every single policy agenda. And as much of a Thatcherite as I am, this was not the time and the place to do what she did, whether it's tax policy, fiscal policy, or monetary policy. And the markets rebelled. The pound hit the lowest level in, in many decades, and that's the markets voting, as they should. Uh, capital markets are a very efficient mechanism for pointing out when things are really stupid, and that was really stupid. She's paying the price. She lost her uh, her chance of the exchequer, and now I agree with uh, Peter Malkovey. The markets and uh, the Goldman Sachs cabal are going to you know, try and push against her and get Rishi Shunak in, which is, I think, horrible for all of you know the Bannon War Room Posse's agenda on populism and economic nationalism. It ain't good. He's in bed, bed with all the big banks and the insurance companies in the city. Uh, the London and the uh, the British workers not going to benefit from a Rishi Sunak uh, ministerial uh, position. No, oh, terrible. Uh, you've been very terrible. closely following. In fact, you've been to Brazil. I think you, I think you got close to getting arrested in Brazil. Tell me about this debate yep. the other night. The mainstream media in the West all wrote off all wrote off uh, Brazil, all wrote off Bolsonaro. 
Lula was going to win in a walkaway. Tell us what happened. Yeah, well, first, you know, we talked in depth about what went on in the first round two weeks ago this past Sunday. The second round is in two weeks from this past Sunday on October 30th. Uh, and they said Lula's going to win, you know, over 50 percent. It's going to be a bloodbath. Well, it was much tighter. I do believe that there was a lot of fraud and that there's no way Lula could have gotten 48, 49 percent. And when the the votes of those that down ballot were pure pro-Bolsonaro, 19 out of the 27 Senate seats up went to Bolsonaro uh, up chosen, hand-selected, and endorsed uh, people who don't exist in politics if it isn't for the Bolsonaro imprimatur. Now we have the last debate on Sunday night. Unbelievable bloodbath for Lula. Uh, JB absolutely wrecked him, uh, brought up so many things that are, are the concerns of the heart of Brazil, the hearts and minds of Brazilians, uh, his connections to Ortega and Petro in the Sao Paulo Forum, his criminality, his being let out of prison by his buddies, his own, his and Dilma and Temer's appointees on the Supreme Court, let him out 500 days into a 12-year sentence for money laundering and selling Brazilian assets to China and those who are doing nothing but bad for Brazil, don't have Brazil and Brazilians' best interest at heart. And you know what? Even as this debate was going, people were absolutely electrified. The left and the mainstream media complex couldn't believe they had no rejoinders for how Lula uh, performed as poorly as he did, calling out the corruption. All he had was he goes back, oh, you mishandled COVID. Well, you know what? COVID's yesterday's news. What is today's news is the economy, is the relations with China, the communist takeover of Latin America, the corruption. And one of uh, many JB uh, punch outs, knockouts, was when he said, what ministers are you going to be appointing to the 20 or so ministries? Everyone knows who I've appointed, who I've had and who I will appoint next term. What about you? Are you selling them in the back room, as is you know, your practice, as you've been convicted for this sort of backroom corruption? Knockout. Lula was speechless. He hid behind the lectern. Uh, fake news. You know, they, the, the, the moderator, so in the tank. Remember Candy Crowley? That kind of bad uh, level of debate moderation in the tank for Lula. And they say fake news, fake news. And J.B. Bolsonaro hit him with they, your, your party, your people, your media have been calling me a pedophile, and your Supreme Court made them take that down. That's fake news. The perpetrators of fake news are this mainstream media complex that's in bed with the Supreme Court, and you guys crossed a line so grossly by running out that I'm a pedophile that even your people forced the takedown on the social media. Uh, so it's it's really, it's, it's heating up for Bolsonaro. Polls uh, one day out from the debate are showing neck and neck. Some show Bolsonaro up 52-48. One that just came out a few hours ago shows uh, 49.5 or so to 48.7, less than a point, but JB ahead, which means he's really, with the Tory effect and the chicanery of polling, suppression polling, as we always talk about, JB's got to be up 15, 20 points, and we'll have to see how they play it. Those who are existentially fighting for their political and economic lives in the corrupt communist Latin American left in bed with China, we'll see how they play it round two. But JB is surging, absolutely surging. The Bolsonaristas, the second round on those races that were uh, that are going to run off, poised to win them all. They now have the Congress, the majority of the Senate, the majority of the lower house, the House of Deputies. Uh, so this is a Bolsonaro. Uh, you know, even if they steal it from him, his people are controlling the legislature, and they will be changed in the judiciary. Uh, Matthew, how do people get to you on social media? Uh, social media, because you're putting up commentary and analysis all day long on Brazil and other topics. Where do they go? Twitter, Getter, at Matthew Chairman, M-A-T-T-H-E-W-T-Y-R-M-A-N-D. We also talk about, you know, today, tomorrow, the next day, Sweden just formed a government, and we will get on that maybe tomorrow morning. Perfect. Matthew Chairman, look, look forward to seeing your lovely visage on Skype. Ah, 
I don't know where we got these pictures, where we got these photos. It was like Matthew Tierman at nine years old. Matthew Matthews. Got I don't even want to watch what that looks little, like. Not, 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 not quite as, not quite as, not quite as, uh, as young as he used to be in those pictures. I, I guess it came from Tierman's publicist, Matthew Tierman. Thank yeah. you very much. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Later. Thank you. I want to bring in Dr. Peter McCullough. Now, you talk about truth to power. You talk about still the point, finger pointing on COVID. You know, Lula's trying to make it the issue down in the Brazilian campaign, Dr. McCullough. But we still have so much unfinished business here about what actually happened, what was truth, what was not, the economic carnage, and particularly the vaccines. You've written an entire book about this. Walk me through your book for a second, because here we're going to actually show in a second a clip from the new movie that's out today, the real Anthony Fauci bits on Bobby Kane's book. But you've gone this from day one, and quite frankly, you kind of went from, I don't want to say an insider, but a respected member of the medical community to really kind of a pariah because you refused to buckle to kind of the mainstream thinking about this. Can you walk us through it? Yeah, sure, Steve. You know, I was fully a member of academia in the ivory tower, but things started to go bad and I couldn't sit by and watch it happen. I teamed up with best-selling author John Leake. Took us a year to write Courage to Face COVID-19, Preventing Hospitalizations and Deaths While Battling the Biopharmaceutical Complex. This follows on some excellent books, including COVID-19 and the Global Predators by Peter Bregan, which gives the timeline uh, and so many of the factual details, the fact pattern and what happens. The real Anthony Fauci zeroing in on our uh, National Allergy Immunology Infectious Disease Branch uh, Director, Dr. Anthony Fauci. It was written by Robert F. Kennedy. As you pointed out, the movie premieres actually starts today. Uh, I play a, a few uh, brief clips uh, in that movie. And, you know, I can tell you in our book, what we've identified, Steve, is there's a biopharmaceutical complex. It's basically like a, a syndicate, uh, similar to the old military industrial complex. But this biopharmaceutical complex at the very top, we believe, is the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, Gates Foundation, uh, the Rockefeller Foundation, Wellcome Trust, and then all the subsidiaries, uh, CEPI, Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness and Innovation, uh, Gavi, Unitaid, EcoHealth Alliance, uh, all the agencies are now in regulatory capture, MHRA, THA, um, the TGA in Australia, the CDC, NIH, FDA, and then there's the uh, suppliers, Big Pharma. All the entities now have massive flows of cash because the doors of the treasuries have been opened by this syndicate by declaring and then maintaining infectious disease emergencies by which the money can then be basically flowed through pre-purchase of products, uh, really in a sense, uh, uh, fueling economically all the interests of this biopharmaceutical complex at the expense and sadly of the, uh, uh, also the, the tremendous casualties of hospitalizations and deaths of the population worldwide. Here's what's stunning. In, in your book, it's the courage. It's also your personal courage to be able to face it, not just the country have to face it. But that's why I think your book about the courage to face COVID-19 is so powerful. In the, in the Robert F. Kennedy book, when it first came out, <clears throat> what shocked me was how this has been around for a while. It's been building. <laughs> I mean, clearly it's worse now, but it's been building for a while. Walk me through, why did you participate in this movie? What was it about Anthony Fauci? They really galvanize your thinking to have you be want, want to be a part of the film about the, the book. He's a, a central leader uh, in this syndicate uh, where this, this flow of money goes 
uh, in part from the National Institutes of Health to a whole variety of centers. Uh, I think a lot of Americans had no idea that U.S. dollars were flowing uh, through the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, Harvard, a Swiss Institute, uh, through the Eco Health Alliance, which is a go-between organization. And the money actually landed in the biosecurity level four lab in Wuhan, China. Uh, and money was sent there specifically to carry out U.S. projects in this biosecurity lab. The lab itself was built by BioMeru under the direction of uh, Stefan Bainzel, uh, who's now the current CEO of Moderna. Uh, we know the former FDA chairman, Stephen Hahn, he works for the venture capital firm that funds Moderna. The uh, former FDA chairman before him, Scott Godley, he's on the board of Pfizer, a vaccine supplier. So you can see the wide open conflict of interest, this web of, of stakeholders that is profitably greatly from these infectious disease pandemics and then the single response to them being mass vaccination. Let me, uh, can we go ahead and play? I want to play the trailer for a second. Then I want to get Dr. Peter McCullough's thoughts. We're going to play the trailer from the real Anthony Fauci movie. This book is a product of my own struggle to understand how the idealistic institutions our country built to safeguard both public health and democracy suddenly turned against our citizens and our values with such violence. I am a lifelong Democrat whose family has had 80 years of deep engagement with America's public health bureaucracy and long friendships with key federal regulators, including Anthony Fauci, Francis Collins, and Robert Gallo. Members of my family wrote many of the statutes under which these men govern. They nurtured the growth of equitable and effective public health policies and defended that regulatory bulwark against ferocious attacks funded by industry. I built my own alliances with these individuals and their agencies during my years of environmental and public health advocacy. Quiet on the set. Camera speed. But I also watched how the industry, supposedly being regulated, used its indentured servants on Capitol Hill and its financial clout to systematically hollow out those agencies beginning in the 1980s, disabling their regulatory function and transforming them into sock puppets for the very industry Congress charged them with regulating. I explore the carefully planned militarization and monetization of medicine that has left American health ailing and our democracy shattered. I chronicle the troubling role of the big tech robber barons, the military and industrial agencies, their deep historical alliance with big pharma and the public health agencies. The disturbing story that unfolds here has never been told and many in power have worked hard to prevent the public from learning it. The principal character is Anthony Fauci. It's from the book that sold over a million copies, The Real Anthony Fauci. Dr. P. McCullough, when you watch that trailer, it's almost like you're getting ready to watch a horror movie. Tell me about that. It's almost like your power, power it's like some Kafka-esque 
they've made it from a Kafkaesque novel, and you're about to be sucked into something like a Hitchcock, where you have absolutely no control, no power, but you're just sucked into this web of power and corruption. What are your thoughts? Americans do feel like the last three years has been a bad movie, Steve. You know, 10 million Americans hospitalized, a million people lost their lives either directly due to the virus or with the virus. Um, myself and other doctors, we knew this was treatable. We were, we knew we could develop ways to treat it. In fact, we did. Uh, we proved that they worked. We did everything we could to save as many Americans as possible. But the government narrative driven by Dr. Anthony Fauci was a narrative that basically promoted fear, suffering, hospitalizations, and deaths, and only a single answer. And that was to take a vaccine. And it was a vaccine that uh, was proven to, to not be safe. Uh, and on, on top of that, not effective. It didn't last very long. And now people, their lives have been ruined by these vaccines. Their careers are tethered to these vaccines. And, and there is no um, reconciliation of what's gone on. There's no admission that the vaccines have failed and that we need to jettison these products and now start to repair America. In fact, President Biden has just extended the emergency again. There is no emergency, Steve. We should just close this out, let doctors treat the remaining cases and now start to invest in vaccine injury research uh, and start to figure out what went wrong with this terrible plan. Part of the reason they're going to have this, we're going to have this sweeping victory is this issue of medical freedom that's bringing so many people to our side. Of course, the mainstream media doesn't want to talk about it. What do you hope with your book and your expertise, and you've already given some, some uh, brilliant testimony to the Senate subcommittees run by the Republicans, but when, when the Ron Johnsons are in charge and the Rand Pauls are in charge and you've got in the House, we have a 40 or 50 seat majority next January, February, March. What would give us, we've got about two minutes, walk through Dr. Peter McCullough's, given this movie, your book, uh, Robert F. Kennedy's, the Children's Health Defense, all of it, what would you like to see? What's the outcome? We need congressional oversight committees and hearings on what the FDA knew, what the vaccine manufacturers knew, why weren't the vaccines stopped? Pfizer should have been stopped uh, within uh, you know a month of its being released. Uh, 1,223 deaths occurred shortly after Pfizer was used in the public program, why there were no safety meetings every month to inform Americans and doctors how to navigate here. Uh, and then we need Senate uh, hearings, and we, we clearly need them for all of the federal, federal health agency officials, CDC officials, White House Task Force, uh, NIH. Uh, we need them to be called to accountability and justice. Uh, Dr. McCullough, uh, the, uh, it's the real com. Everybody can see it free today. I want everybody to go there. Dr. McCullough, how people get to your book, The Courage to Face COVID-19, and how people follow you on social media. The book has its own website, CourageToFaceCovid.com. Uh, you can follow me from my website, uh, PeterMcCulloughMD.com. Uh, I'm active on Getter, on Telegram, and uh, I've just started a Substack with best-selling author John Leake. It's a uh, it's termed courageous discourse, and it's already very popular. My Twitter is still in suspension, trying to negotiate out of that. Um, but as you all know, the social media onslaught against doctors telling the truth has been relentless. Dr. McCullough, you're a true hero. Thank you for uh, standing up for the country, your patients, and, uh, and really medicine. But thank you very much, sir. 
TheRealAnthonyFauciMovie.com. It's free. I want everybody in the Warren Posse to see it. If not tonight, then tomorrow. Be back at 10 a.m. tomorrow. We will be on fire. That I can guarantee you. Where in the world?